Hello, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Unstoppable Rise, a resource that helps motivate individuals press on towards the mark of self-actualization using none other than a combination of old-school wisdom and new breed tactics to help achieve this end. My name is Sim, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about social intelligence. So in the last episode, I talked about this concept called frame, and I scratched the surface of it. Really what I was doing in that episode was setting it up for this one, which is a more granular look at the overall web that is social intelligence and social interactions. So right off the bat, what is social intelligence? Social intelligence is pretty much your ability to choose a social frame that contextually fits that situation. Uh... Better yet, I'll actually expand on that. I'd say social intelligence is the ability to act with wisdom and discernment in social situations, choosing the right response for a certain action, a certain outcome, or certain behavior. For example, if I'm at the gym and I get into a friendly conversation with a personal trainer, I'm not going to break frame and unload my personal problems on the trainer. Probably not the best time to do that that would probably be better off handled with a therapist. Now, the higher your levels of social intelligence are, the more appropriate your response to a situation will be. Now the problem comes when you start to enter this gray area. There's lots of social interactions that just have a big cloud of uncertainty around them. For example, when you're dating a new woman, is it socially intelligent to talk about taboo subjects on the first or even second date? Maybe, maybe not. You probably have to adjust yourself to that specific situation because it's really context dependent. And however, like most things I talk about, there's a universal framework to how humans interact socially. We are social creatures. We couldn't have... And we wouldn't have taken over the entire planet if we weren't. There are different cultures, different ethnicities, different nations throughout history that have spread throughout the vast areas of land masses throughout the globe. And obviously, they're called countries. So these people are able to only establish these countries across across these vast stretches of land. Think about Russia or China or India. They were only able to do that to the degree which which they were able to utilize social intelligence towards this end. And I'm talking about mobilizing people to act in a certain way towards a certain good, towards a certain common good. So when you're going out to fight a war to expand your country back in the olden days, it would be good to mobilize support for that war because when you mobilize support for that war, you have... Uh, more public support, you have less resistance internally to send uh, thousands of young men, the country's young men, out in a battle or in some type of war or extended conflict. So being able to socially navigate the position of leadership, that's something that requires a good amount of social intelligence and emotional intelligence. Um, the patterns I'm going to be talking about are pretty much things that you can find in any country or any culture across the globe. So, um, these, these nine 
unwritten rules of social intelligence. There's more than these, but these are the nine that I came with, came up with. And as with anything and everything I talk to you about, you're more than welcome to take this with a little more than a pinch of salt. So the first one. I say everyone has a favorite radio station that they're tuned to a majority of the time. And that radio station is called WIIFM. What's in it for me? Now you may say, that's not me. I'm, I'm not a selfish person. I care about other people. Okay, but how many times per, per day you say the word I or per week? I'm willing to bet it's a lot. And I'm willing to bet that it's in regard to having something you want done or getting your needs met. So here's the truth. Many people spend a lot of their time, most of their time, in their heads, usually ruled by their own thoughts. Many people are either lost in rumination or some type of fantasy or some type of other mental projection or problem that they want to solve. Think of it like driving down the street and you're so lost in your thought more than concentrating on the road, so you just pass your turn. You were supposed to make a right turn, but you didn't because you weren't paying attention and you were just daydreaming or getting caught up in things that happen during the day or you may be preoccupied with how you're going to meet rent that month um that's one of those things that happens or think about the time when you're in conversation with another person and you're talking about something you're really interested in or something you have a strong opinion in and then you're nodding along with him and you're nodding with him you're saying "Uh uh-huh yeah 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 yeah, but in the back of your mind, you're just like, I want to. I can't wait till it's my turn, my turn, my turn. I want to assert my viewpoint. And for both of these, I'd say everyone has had this experience, and more often, more than once. So my point is, many people are concerned with themselves for most of their working lives. That's just how it is. And the key to this assertion that I made, WIIFM, You need to understand two things. And the first one I'd say is you need to appeal to someone's self-interest when you're conversing with them or taking up their time to talk with them. So that's one. And the second one is by doing this and by giving someone your full attention and full presence, you automatically stand out by default. So this is a major underpinning of social intelligence. Doing these two by default will get you 80 to 90% of the way there in most cases. And... When you meet someone and they're fully locked in and engaged with you, it makes you feel seen. It makes you feel understood. It makes you feel appreciated. And that connection is how you start to build long-lasting friendships, business relationships, romantic relationships, anything you can think of. Just having that presence and thus radiating your attention outward and being attentive. And I think a practice like meditation or contemplation or just having a practice that stills the mind is able to do this very well because you're just thinking about you have an empty mind and you have no mind. So you're able to be in the moment and you're able to adapt to that fluidity of the conversation and you're not so stuck up in your head trying to think of a canned response to somebody, right? So always keep that in mind. The first one, W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me? Number two, your social acumen as a large determinant of your success in life. Life is lived with people and work is done with 
and through people. That means at every stage in your journey, another person will be involved at some point. It could be that boss who hired you for that specific role or that mentor you had who opened up your eyes to everything that's possible for you. Or maybe it's that amazing girl you met and even though things didn't really work out between you both, you still learned a lot of lessons from your time together. Even the books you read were written by another person, right? So in all of these situations, other people are responsible for a large part of your success and knowing how to communicate effectively in this situation is key. You'll only be able to learn with and from other people and you only do that with social intelligence. So that's the second one. Social acumen being a large determinant of your current and future success in life. Third, many social justifications are driven by... So in 1977, there was a researcher and a psychologist. Her name was Ellen Langer, and she wanted to conduct a social experiment. So using her team of assistants, she told them to see how many people would react in response to these assistants cutting in line. So an assistant would spot someone waiting at the library copy machine and walk over with the intention of cutting the person in line. Then the researcher would look at the person and ask them one of three questions. First version was only the request. And that request was, excuse me, I have five pages. May I use the Xerox machine? Second version was a request with a real reason. Excuse me, I have five pages. May I use the Xerox machine because I'm in a rush? Third version, a request with a fake reason. Excuse me, I have five pages. Can I use the Xerox machine because I have to make some copies? Now, the third request didn't really make a ton of sense. It didn't really have a justification, just said, I have to make some copies. <laughs> well, duh, everyone in that line had to make copies, right? So you might wonder at the outcome of this experiment. But the first experiment was, uh, may I use the Xerox machine? I have five pages. 60% of people were able to skip in line. Second request, because I'm in a rush. 94%. The third request, which was the most meaningless, had 93% of people were able to skip in the line. Now, this is because people want a reason to justify any behavior. When you ask someone to do a favor for you, if you provide a justification for that behavior, for that favor, there's 10 times more likely it'll go your way. The downside of this is because the line of reasoning justifies behavior that when viewed in a vacuum, it's pretty illogical and quite frankly unproductive. And when you scale this up to groups of people, even governments and nations themselves, you can see how this can get out of control very fast. But you scale it back down to the micro level on communication between two individuals, it creates a terrible justification for treating others badly or even deifying them to the level of God's. So keep that in mind when you're interacting with another person. Am I distorting the true image of this person for bad or for good? Because there's some justification that you have to treat them in this certain way. You're obscuring your true nature because there's a justification for that because, right? So that's the third one. Many social justifications are driven by irrational behavior. 
Fourth is everyone has a specific dial of things that elicit some type of emotion. And this is a continuation of the last point, sort of. Um, we all have specific triggers that get us to take a certain action. We all have things that make us mad, that make us sad, that make us feel hungry, and even ones that are more universal. Those triggers are usually variants of these universal triggers, right? But these things are usually context-dependent, and they're usually based on things that happened to us in the past. So think of human emotion as like the dial to a safe. Everyone has a combination. That combination unlocks a certain emotion. For example, I knew a woman at a party who reacted badly to a specific type of dress that another woman was wearing because it reminded her of her mother who unfortunately perished in a house fire. That trigger, the dress, caused her to react a certain way. That trigger, that dial, was composed of the dress and the memory of her mother passing away. The result was a negative emotion based on association. So how does this work in relation to you and the people you meet? Well, there will be certain things you do or say or act that people will say, hey, I like that guy, or that guy rubs me the wrong way. Something obvious or universal would be giving someone a compliment. Some people may take it badly, but most will appreciate it. Something that's particular to a person may be talking about a specific subject they really like. If you bring it up, they just might light up and get really animated and engaging. The thing is, people try to obscure these dials because they don't want to be played. They don't want to be manipulated. In fact, this is one of the fundamentals of manipulation. People who are very manipulative are really good at turning and tweaking particular dials of people they interact with. Too good, in fact, really. And this is how people become really good at something like dating. They get really good at pushing those buttons that trigger certain responses, usually for attraction in the opposite sex. This triggering of the dials and turning of the dials is something that anyone can learn, but some people are just more uniquely and innately talented in this one area, probably because of their socialization and something that they had to do in order to survive as a child and get their needs met as a child. You'll find out that people who are very manipulative, they've had a background of abuse or neglect and they had to behave in certain ways, certain manipulative ways in order to get their needs met as a child, affection, attention, and other things that child needs to survive, right? So that's number four. Everyone has their dials and triggers, and if you know those dials and triggers, you can usually exploit that to your advantage. Hopefully not in a Machiavellian way, right? Number five, most people you interact with have a surface layer that is a false self. The truth is we all wear masks in society to some point. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with this. But the real problems come up when you make the mask for who you really are. But that's a whole different story. And that's a whole different topic. But we all wear a specific mask to help us fit in. And this mask is usually context dependent. For some, this mask and these masks are very, very thin. And very much like their true nature. Their true when I'm alone self. These are the people you see who seem to be a bit free. And I'm not talking about the people who bleed onto the paper on social media. 
No, 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 no. That in itself is a mask. I'm talking about the people. I'm talking about the people who are truly authentic, right? And for some people, they put up a wall of emotion in an attempt to shield themselves. I'll give you an example that some of you could probably relate to. When I was in high school, there was this girl who my friend knew, who was always mean to me when, whenever I'd meet her, and I don't know what it was about me, but or what it was about her, but she always treated me like I was garbage, and. That's what I was thinking at the time. I don't know what it was about me or I don't know what it was about her, but, you know, probably this girl has a problem, right? It was only until a couple years later that I found out she had a crush on me. And I was like, what? And, you know, that threw me for a loop. I should have saw it coming, but um, actually it was pretty obvious looking back in hindsight. But I didn't really have that firm of a grasp on social dynamics back then, so... I could have missed the forest for the trees, so to speak. Another one you probably see a lot is the tough guy persona. If you see a guy who's or a man who's angry all the time, who's in a bad mood all the time, who's trying to huff and puff and throw his weight around, that bad mood or anger or tough guy persona is probably not who he really is, right? He's often using that as a smoke screen. So whenever I counter this, Whenever I meet people with these extreme emotional reactions, I always ask myself, what is this person hiding? What are they compensating for? I found that people who just tend to be statically happy all the time, and I'm not even talking about as a temperament or a personality. I just mean all the time, exuberant, all the time, just happy, 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 every day, day in, day out, like... 11 out of 10, 12 out of 10, 20 out of 10, happiness. These people are usually hiding some very strong feelings of sadness or even depression. And these people may even be suicidal deep down, right? I found that people who are constantly sarcastic and whatever are usually on the abyss of a perpetual panic attack. They tried to use this sense of nihilism and sense of uh, indifference to prevent from seeing the realization and feeling the realization that their world is teeter-tottering on an unstable foundation of cards, unstable deck of cards. People who are constantly angry tend to want to have something to control. Being angry and forceful makes you feel like you're in control. And I knew this because I used to have that issue and I always want to be in control, right? I want to always control something. So I always ask yourself, when you meet someone, what role are these people trying to present? What are these people hiding? What are they trying to show you that they're trying to keep hidden from view. And you'll find out sometimes, a lot of times, that the boss who's swaggering, who's throwing his weight around, the party girl who's super exuberant, all these players, all these roles, all these archetypes, you'll find that they're playing a role. They're not who they present themselves to be. So always take 
what these people are presenting you, these larger-than-life personalities, these purposeful larger-than-life personalities with a grain of salt, right? So that's the fifth one. Sixth one is not everyone will like you. For most of us, we have been socialized to believe that it's better to be liked by everyone and catered to everyone than be strongly liked by a few. When you try to please everyone, you please no one. The most unhappy people on earth are the people pleasers because they spread themselves so thin. A couple of years ago, I signed up for a course on how to make a strong brand presence. And in that course, we had to critique each other's writing and each other's copy. This one person in the course thought it was good, but it would be made better if I didn't have the cursing in it because it would be more quote unquote family friendly. And for that particular piece, I wrote the F-bomb twice. And if you read my writing, you see that in some pieces, most pieces actually, have at least one or two curse words. And I told them that if the person reading the piece couldn't stomach the content, then they're just not my target audience. And I don't just curse just to curse. I usually do it as a pattern interrupt. Sometimes when you're reading or listening to something and someone curses, it jolts you out of that state of unawareness, even for a little bit. So it snaps you out and gets you to pay attention. It's like, oh, wow, he just said a naughty word. But she got pissed and she started to ramble on and ramble on about nothing really. And the course instructor told her to cool it and saying that it's his website and yada, 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 yada. So, that's one example. The other week, I got an email from this person who thought my writing was too long and that they said they don't listen to podcasts and they just need information fast. Give it to me fast, right? Okay, I told them I clearly wasn't making the type of content that they wanted and if they wanted to, they're welcome to unsubscribe because I make pieces for a particular kind of audience and this person clearly wasn't it. Later that same day, that same day, I got an email back saying, Hey dude, this piece was awesome. I thoroughly enjoyed it and I look forward to more. God works in mysterious ways, right? My point is, don't change your entire social approach just to fit the whims of other people. It usually never works in the long run. And you will have people who make you like, who will like you just for you and... That's perfectly all right, perfectly fine. So that's the sixth one. Not everyone will like you, and that's perfectly fine. Seventh one, which I think is pretty obvious. People want to be around people who make them feel good. You're more likely to interact with someone you like, right? When someone gives you good feelings, you're more likely to seek out their company. It's pretty common sense. The, the thing is, the definition of quote-unquote good varies from individual to individual. Some people absolutely hate people who are optimistic, positive, life-enhancing. And these other people who don't like people like that actually seek out negativity. They're addicted to people who are negative, who talk negative, and who talk about doom and gloom. It gives them a rush. It gives them a feeling like they're on drugs. And there's this saying that your vibe attracts your tribe. I, I think that's true. An episode I made in season one on energy, I talked about how energy 
attracts like energy. I find myself having friends who are a bunch of solid guys, mainly because I think I'm a solid guy. I really treasure people who are willing to step outside of their comfort zone and experience life. And all my friends do that in their own unique way, in some way. It's funny, once I leveled up in my life, I took my self-development seriously. I started taking my workout training seriously. I started looking for ways to improve in every area. Those friends who I had who were not doing that sort of naturally fell away. Not out of any ill will towards them. But because by me improving my life, I didn't make them feel good. And they didn't make me feel good. So it was just a mutual parting. And yeah, that's just how the cookie crumbled. That's seven. People want to be around people who make them feel good in whatever way that is. Number eight, people do repeat business with those they like and respect. People do business and trade money for goods and services with people they like and respect. And respect comes in true two things really trust and dependability and for those of you who run a business or are in a high position in a business this point is especially relevant to you but even those who don't really run a business or or those who are thinking about it you know uh, this is something good to know I think this is just something that's good to know right off the top because I think everyone's going to be offering their personal services to somebody at some point and Respect, obviously trust and dependability. Respect must be earned. It isn't given. You earn it by showing up consistently day after day after day and doing the job that you're tasked to do right. Probably the easiest people to sell to are people who are referred to you by others because you have inherent social proof. You're validated by the people who referred you. I know this one freelancer in IT who makes about 250 grand a year only from referrals right he just has such a strong referral network that he's frequently not searching for gigs he has so much volume he's turning them down and he's referring these people out to other people in his network the book endless referrals by Bob Berg talks about this so if you want more information check that one out So that's number eight. People do business with those they like and respect. People do repeat business with those they like and respect. So number nine, the final one. Emotions are contagious. If you're familiar with social psychology and NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, you're familiar with the concept of state transference. Pretty much state transference is a unconscious redirection of your emotional state and emotional energy to the other person or other people you're talking to. You can do this willingly, but you can also do this, like I said, unwillingly and unconsciously. Usually it is unwillingly and unconsciously. You can do this in a job interview by telegraphing your excitement to the interviewer. You can do this in a conversation with someone you're on a date with, getting them to harmonize with you. So many things. It's sort of like hypnosis in a way. This is because we humans are social beings at our core. Most of our brain is dedicated to detecting tone and facial and body language in the other person to get insight to into information we don't currently have access to 
or to harmonize with these people and their state so we can achieve some sort of end, some objective, objective end. This helps when someone is giving you body language gestures that there's danger in the area. And you can immediately catch on and your heart starts to race and you start to get in that fight or flight mode because you know that there's something dangerous around. Think about a football quarterback. He's the leader. This guy gets the team pumped up before the game. He motivates them with a hype speech and the team feeds off his energy and they go out and just kill it. Think about angry mobs. Most people in that mob weren't angry. Most people in that mob aren't angry people, ordinarily. But they got that way because they got swept up in the emotion present at the time. Think about current events and what's going on in the world right now. Hysteria, fear, lunacy, paranoia, even some bordering on superstition, right? With all of these circumstances, your brain is telling you These people know something you don't. If they didn't, they wouldn't be acting this way. So this is a very protective measure that keeps you alive. But sometimes these feelings might be misguided or untrue. And a lot of times they are not completely true. They may be half true, but they're not all the way true. And sometimes these people and these emotions may be manipulating you to do something you really don't want to do. Right? So keep that in mind. It's very important. So that's it. Nine unwritten rules of social intelligence. I hope you enjoyed this one. And if you like this content, go and visit www.unstoppablerise.com slash get social. And you'll find more articles similar to this podcast in that section. Until next time, I wish you well. And I wish you adieu. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in and listening in. I truly appreciate your support and your attention. It means a lot. If you like this content, go ahead and like the content. Go ahead and share the content with at least two other people you think would benefit. doesn't hurt to spread the good stuff around, right? And if you're listening in on iTunes, go ahead and rate the show with a honest rating. This will definitely help the show grow. And I truly appreciate your feedback. So until next time. Stay good, take care of yourself, take care of other people, and peace.